Well, when I was in law school, a friend, uh, this, so this was in early 2000s, a friend from our Nashville days uh, came to Lubbock to play a show during uh, one of the Buddy Holly festivals. I, I think they still do Buddy Holly festivals. And so the Buddy Holly festivals were always fun. We had special shows. I was a performer at a theater. I was like the Elvis impersonator at a theater. Uh, I know you can totally believe that. Uh, I had the suit and everything. I was the Elvis at a theater called the Cactus Theater in Lubbock, and so we'd perform uh, regularly there. And it was always fun. The Buddy Holly shows and, and uh, festivals were fun because a lot of other people would come in and do shows in different places around town. So one of our friends from Nashville days, uh, he had been in a band uh, that was, had some fame, uh, a country band called the Mavericks. And so he was the bass player in this band called the Mavericks. And so through him, we met a lot of other famous people and were able to do a lot of really neat things musically because he uh, kind of took us under his wing. He helped us get some recordings made. Uh, he was married at the time uh, to Trisha Yearwood. And so he, we would go out to their house and uh, she would cook for us and she uh, makes a really good grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, and so it was always fun to be with Robert, and it was fun. Him and a friend named Kevin Montgomery came down to Lubbock. They had a side project band called the Road Trippers, and Kevin uh, Montgomery, his sort of an interesting thing about his story, Kevin's father was Bob Montgomery, who was Buddy Holly's first singing partner, wrote some of Buddy Holly's songs, then went on to become a very famous producer in Nashville after Buddy Holly uh, had passed away in, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. He was a very popular producer there. Uh, Kevin's mother, Kathy, had sang on some of the Elvis recordings in the 70s. She was on Suspicious Minds and In the Ghetto. And so it was always, it's always fun to, you know, hang out with people like that that have that kind of pedigree. And, and um, I think that that particular time, uh, that year of the Buddy Holly Festival, I don't think Melissa went to the show, but Tommy Alsup was, remember that? He was doing a show at a restaurant. Kevin and Robert and Al and me went over to go see Tommy Alsup, who had played lead guitar for Buddy Holly after, uh, before Waylon Jennings uh, played for Buddy. And then he left the Buddy Holly group and started a recording studio in Odessa. And actually, Melissa's dad uh, had a band, him and his brother were called Terry and Tommy. And Tommy Alsup had them come out for his record label, AOK Records. And uh, they cut a, a single. They are an A and a B side uh, of a record. And we have the 45 of it. It's really awesome uh, to listen to it. And so that's kind of this lots of uh, musical intertwining and things like that, uh, that that are always kind of fun. And I look back on those things and I just can't believe uh, some of the people that I've met. So anyway, we were hanging out with Robert and Kevin. And they had a, a player in their band. It was a guy named Al Perkins. And so uh, this happened on a couple of occasions when they would come down to Lubbock with an Al would be playing with them, Dobro, uh, lead guitar uh, player. And of course, Al is probably one of the best musicians I've ever heard. And he was touring with these guys on their side project. And as I was hanging out with Al Perkins, and, and Melissa and I were hanging out with Al Perkins, you just noticed there was something different about Al Perkins. And it didn't take long for us to have a conversation with Al Perkins where we found out 
that Al Perkins was a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a movie out called Jesus Revolution. Have you all heard of this movie? It's a movie about the Jesus movement that took place in the late 60s, early 70s with Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel. Well, Al was in L.A. at the time. Al was already a very accomplished uh, uh, musician. Uh, he had been in a band called Shiloh with a guy named Don Henley. Uh, then he joined a, a band... Uh, it was, it was basically a super group that Stephen Stills and Chris Hillman, who'd been in The Birds, had started. He'd played on uh, Graham Parsons' two solo records. Played a bit on, on, I can tell you all the people that he played on uh, their records uh, here in a second. But anyway, Al was already an accomplished musician, but he just, there was something missing in his life. And so he showed up at, when, they were, when they were, if you've seen the movie, they moved to a tent. And that's, uh, Al went to that tent one day. And uh, became a Christian. So he was saved in that. And he was still, this was, so this was 30 years later, still walking with Christ, was still the thing he wanted to talk about. And you could talk to Al Perkins about all sorts of things. You could talk to Al Perkins and you could say, what's it like to have three Grammys? Because Al has three Grammys. You could say, what is it like to be named the 17th best studio musician of all time uh, in L.A.? What is it like to play on hit records? He's played on everybody's records. He played for the Eagles, Emmylou Harris, Donna Summer, uh, Dolly Parton, Graham Parsons, Manasseh. He was in that band with Stephen Stills. He played on Garth Brooks. He was the steel player on Garth Brooks' Sevens record. He played for Kenny, on Kenny Rogers, James Taylor, Cher, Bob Dylan, John Denver, Winona, Patti Loveless. Just recently, he's almost 80 years old, he played on Miranda Lambert's latest record last year. If you want to talk about a guy who can play the pedal steel, who can play the dobro, who can play the drums, who can play the electric guitar, who's played on uh, Rolling Stones record, I mean, it's, when you look at his accomplishments, it's mind-blowing. How many songs you've grown up listening to on the radio, and he was the guy playing guitar on it. But that's not what he talked about. He didn't talk about any of that. He just, and the thing, you know, everybody respects him, and they know that he's so great. Um... And nobody would ever question Al Perkins' authority on the steel guitar. He's one of the best in the world. Uh, and if Al Perkins said, here's how you need to play this, that would need to be how you played it. It would be unheard of to question his musical authority. And the thing about it is, here was a guy who was the most accomplished. When, he, when, when Al Perkins walks into a room of musicians, he's the most accomplished musician. He's the best one in the room. If he came in here today, he would be the best musician in the room. And you know what he would do? He probably wouldn't play. He'd probably be happy to listen to us play. And, maybe, and we're not the best musicians in the world. And the thing that he would want to talk about is his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's just the kind of guy that he was. He was more interested in talking about his faith than he was the fact that he was there, a musician or whatever. And you know, the Apostle Paul is the same way. The Apostle Paul... Loved the people. He loved the churches. But there did come a point, and of course it would be unheard of, to, we would say, to question a guy with such a resume as Al Perkins. But you know, Paul had quite a resume too. And people were questioning Paul's resume in the Corinthian church. And so Paul, as much as it pained him, as much as it would have pained Al Perkins if we'd said, tell us everybody's records you've played on. He wouldn't have wanted to do that because he he's such a humble guy. He was such a humble man. 
And, and it pains Paul in the same way as what we're about to read. It pains Paul to trot out his resume. In fact, Paul calls it foolishness. He says, me having to do this is so foolish. And so he does it. In our passage, Paul is going to give his resume as an apostle. And he's going to say, this feels like foolishness to do this. But then ultimately, as he gets down to the bottom of the resume, he says, but I just want you to know that I'm weak. I really do want to boast. If I'm going to boast about something, I don't want to boast in all of this suffering and danger and so on. I want to boast in my weakness. And really, as we come to the conclusion of chapter 11, as we move into chapter 12, remember what Paul is saying is that believers, even though we might have authority to boast in a lot of things, as believers, what our heart should be is to boast in our weakness, not in our strengths. Christians don't have power because we stand strong. Christians have power because we're willing to get on our knees in prayer. We're willing to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'm weak. And I need Jesus. Not I can do it on my own. That's really the point of our sermon in our text today. As though there are things we could say or we could brag and boast about ourselves. Really, the, the, the most crucial thing about a Christian is his willingness to boast in his weakness and in his heart for Jesus Christ. Let's break down the last part of chapter 11 this way. We'll look at verses 16 through 33. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. I mean, Ephesians. I don't even know what I'm thinking of Ephesians. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. We'll do verses uh, 16 through 33. Here's how we can break it down. Verses 16 through 21, we'll talk about Paul's foolishness. In verses 21 through 27, Paul gives his resume in, as an apostle. In verses 28 and 29, we look at Paul's empathy. And then in verses 30 through 33, Paul's weakness. That's kind of the roadmap there. So let's read about Paul's foolishness. Look at verse 16. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat... Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so I too may boast a little. So these super apostles have been coming into the church, and they're braggadocious, and they're like those flashy TV evangelists that fly in the jet planes and have the nice clothes and have all the wealth and opulence, and you look at the set of their TV show, and it just looks like everything's plated in gold. And all the curtains are royal blue. And you're thinking, wow, those people must really be blessed by God. Or they must really know how to get people to give them their money. One of the two. And so, I think it's the latter. Uh, so here are these super apostles that have been coming to the church and saying, listen to us. Don't listen to that Paul. Why would you listen to that Paul? He's always in jail. He's always sick. He's always suffering. Don't listen to him. If God was really blessing him, why would he be having such a lack of success everywhere? And so they wanted them to listen to these, these super apostles, as, as Paul called them. They weren't really super apostles. They were terrible false teachers. But call, Paul said, oh, y'all listen to these super apostles, but you don't listen to me, who's actually an apostle. And you're, you're really impressed by the super apostles, and you're not impressed by me, 
And so Paul's going to show them where he stands in relation to these super apostles by giving them his resume, but it pains him to do it. He keeps calling it foolishness. Look at verse 17. He says, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, and he says, I'm saying this, not the Lord. I'm not saying this as, one, uh, as, as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since, and he says in verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast, for you gladly bear it with fools, being wise yourselves. You gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For if you bear, bear it when someone makes a slave of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or even strikes you in the face, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. What is Paul saying here? This is... This is one of those strange passages where you read it and you're like, what is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. I am going to tell you guys why you should listen to me. I don't want to do it because I think it's foolishness. I don't want to do it because we don't come in and operate like this. But here's the truth. All you guys seem to do is listen to bragging. That's what he's telling them. You guys listen to people that come in and brag to you, so I'm going to have to come in and brag to you because... You put up with it from everybody else, I'm going to make you put up with it from me for a minute. So he can make his point. And so now he gives his resume. Now he's going to show his actual apostolic authority as opposed to the false teachers that he's calling the super apostles. He says, but whatever, look at verse, the, the end of, of uh, the end of 21, uh, okay, so we could maybe call this like 21b. He says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of I'm speaking as a fool he's like I cannot believe I'm doing this but he says I also dare to boast of that are they Hebrews so am I so what does that tell us about these false teachers they were probably Jews they probably come in from Jerusalem he says are they Hebrew I'm a Hebrew as well are they offspring of Abraham or, or excuse me he says are they Israelites so am I are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Yes, so Paul's saying this. I'm ethnically Jewish. I'm politically Jewish. My ethnic heritage and my faith heritage is Jewish. I'm as Jewish as anybody. Then look at verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Can you imagine saying that? Can you imagine? <laughs> well, neither can Paul because look what he says right after that. I'm talking like a madman. He's like, I cannot believe I'm having to do this. I can't believe I'm having to defend myself. That would be like Al Perkins having to show me that he could make a C chord, right? Here's a guy that could play, play better than me. But what if I was demanding, oh, if you're such a good guitar player, why don't you show it? He's like, buddy, I'm playing steel guitar and Rolling Stones records. You're playing up here at First Baptist Olney. I don't have to answer to you, but Paul's answering to them. That's what he's doing. And he says, this is crazy. He says, I've got far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Now what is, this was a Jewish punishment they called the 39 lashes. Because they thought if you got 40 lashes, what would happen? You would die. So what they would do is they'd have someone hold your hands and someone hold your feet and they'd stretch you out. And first they'd start you on your back. And they would beat your chest and your stomach 13 times. Then they'd turn you over and beat your back 26 times. And, Paul had, and they would count it out loud. 
And if, if somebody accidentally gave 40 blows to the man, then the person who was given the blows would get the blows. This happened to him five times. Can you imagine? Go, you've had this done to you before with a whip. And you know if I go in here and preach, they're going to hold me down and they're going to beat me 39 times. And he did it anyway. Then he, he mentions another punishment here. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now that's a Roman punishment. And what the Romans would do is they would tie you up, usually upside down, and they would take a birch stick and they would beat you until they felt like they needed to stop. They wouldn't stop at 39. And then since they had you upside down and they had your feet right here, they would take those rods and they would beat your feet until your, the bones in your feet broke. And this is happening to a guy who walks everywhere he goes. All over the ancient world. Can you imagine? Then he says, once I was stoned. This is recorded in Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Paul was stoned in Lystra, and they thought he was dead, and he wasn't. And so he got up from the stoning. God protected him from being killed by the stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I think if I was shipwrecked once, I probably wouldn't get on another ship. <clears throat> he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And then he begins in verse 26 to talk about dangers. I think he mentions it. Uh, nine times or, or maybe more than that. You can count them. <laughs> I didn't count them. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Wow. So Paul talks about his credentials. He talks about his service to Christ. He talks about his suffering for Jesus. Talks about all the extreme dangers he experienced. And I think that maybe, what about all this danger stuff? I think what Paul's saying is, my devotion to Christ is extreme. Doesn't it look extreme to you when one is willing to endure all this because they love Jesus Christ? Do you have an extreme devotion to Christ? Are you willing to suffer hardship? Are you willing to serve in these ways? Are you willing to suffer in these ways? Why was Paul? Because Paul was convinced. Because Paul had met Jesus. Paul had met Jesus there on that road to Damascus. And when he met Jesus and when he spent those days where he couldn't see, he was shown his great need for a Savior. He was shown the, the consequences of his sins to the detriment of his soul and his eternal life, like Jessica mentioned to us in her testimony. And he knew that he needed Jesus. And he was an extreme follower. He had an extreme need, and his response to the gospel was extreme. You too have an extreme need, and your response to the gospel should be extreme. Now, are people going to beat you 39 times or with rods and break your feet? No. I mean, think about what we consider a sacrifice. It's a lot less, isn't it? But we're not even willing to make that sacrifice. So as we read this, I don't think that means go get on a boat and see if it'll sink. But I do think it means we need to think, is my followership, followership of Jesus Christ, is it worthy of the name Christian? Am I willing to do what it takes to live for Jesus Christ? And Paul was concerned. He, he, if he were here today, if Paul were here today, he'd be concerned about that for you. That was Paul's heart. How do I know? Look at verses 28 and 29. And apart from other things, 
I've mentioned all this. There is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul had planted all these churches and they were on his mind. How do we know? Because he was writing them letters. He was wanting to know how they were doing. He was giving them instruction. He was doing his best. He didn't have email. He didn't have FaceTime. He had to walk there or take a boat there or send a letter, which would, which would be very expensive to produce and be very, uh, it would be very perilous to even see if it could get to where it was going, even though the Roman roads were very, very good roads. And it, they were the best that had ever been at that time. So Paul, Paul he probably thought, wow, it's amazing I'm living in the time when I've got an information superhighway. But it was all cobblestone built by a Roman Empire. <laughs> but it wasn't a way amazing that it, that it existed. It just wasn't as, as uh, amazing as what we have now, was it, was it? He says in verse 29, Who is weak, and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall, and I'm not indignant? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, when I hear about a church falling under the spell of a false teacher, he says, who's not weak and, and I'm weak? So I feel the weak. I feel their weakness. I'm empathizing with them. I'm, when they suffer, I'm suffering. Okay? When, when they fall, I, I'm, I get upset about it. And so Paul's concerned for these churches. These brothers and sisters he led to Christ, he felt their weakness. He was angered for the work of the false teachers. But here's where Paul is different. I mean, he could keep bragging. He could say, oh, I have it so hard and I've done this. But that's not really where his heart is, is it? He felt like he had to do it even though he, 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 he confessed it was foolishness. But in verse 30, he talks about his weakness. He says, but if I must boast... If I have to do this and I have to engage in this process so that you will listen to me and you will rid your church of people that are killing it, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. You know what that's called? That's an oath. He's swearing by God that He's telling the truth. And He says, At Damascus, the governor under King Artius was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. This is in Acts chapter 9. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. If I must boast, I'm going to boast in the thing that shows my weakness. And he'll go on to talk more about some things in chapter 12, but what does he start with? He starts with this interesting story of basically being on the run there in the city of Damascus. The governor wanting to seize him. We know the Jews wanted to seize him and kill him. And so what was the answer in verse 33? I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. How is that weakness? I read one story that said that that basket could have been used for bricks or hay. I read another story that said it might have been used to, to haul fish up into the city. And maybe Paul got in this stinky basket and he was lowered down. How is it weakness? Just because the basket was used for hay or fish? No. Strength in that time. Strength in that time. We don't live in fortified cities, so we don't understand this. But strength in that time 
was whenever you were in the army and you ran up and you put a ladder up against that wall and you were the first one over the top. That was strength. Weakness is being lowered down, hiding in a basket to safety. Paul said, I don't, I'm telling you this stuff, but I, I'm going to boast about my weakness. I had to be lowered down the wall. I wasn't going over the top like a brave soldier. I was being hiding, <laughs> climbing through a hole, getting into a basket, and being let down to escape. The aim of the passage is for us to remember as Christians, we defend ourselves with our weakness, not our strength. There is a dangerous movement that's probably always been in every church you've been a part of. There's a dangerous movement that's been throughout Christianity for hundreds, if not thousands of years that exists among people. It's a movement that exists among people who want to follow Christ. And that danger is for you to try to live a life for Christ in your own strength. To pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. How many of us get up every day and we think about our walk with Christ and they say, we say, I've just got to be better. I've got to do different. I've got to be more obedient. I need to work harder at following Christ. I need to make God proud that He saved me and I'm going to keep myself saved. That's not weakness, is it? Here's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to say, I'm weak. The greatest thing about me is not my strength, my talent, my ability, my morality, but my weakness. My need for Jesus and the way He meets that need and sustains me to enjoy and to endure everything that He's ordained for me. Paul said, I had to be lowered down in a basket to be saved. A true demonstration of my weakness where I couldn't do anything but escape. And you say, the man Jesus had to be lowered down to this earth for me so that I could be saved. Because there was nothing I could do to get up to him. That's the point of the passage. If we boast in anything as Christians, it is the fact that we're weak and we've acknowledged our weakness. It's not us trying to climb up to God. It's our weakness saying we have to have God do the saving. That's our boast, is that we're weak, but we have a strong Savior. I'm weak. My Savior is strong. I am weak, but He is strong. We teach that song to our kids. It's one of the first things that they learn. So I wrote Al Perkins as I was writing this sermon. I thought, man, uh, I wonder how he's doing. <laughs> and so I found his website, Al Perkins Music, and I, I told them about uh, how I, when I was reading this passage about somebody who, who just has a great resume but just boasted in their weakness. Al Perkins could boast in all of his accomplishments but the main thing about the man was he acknowledged, I'm weak and I need Jesus. And that's why I thought of him as I started writing this as an illustration for the sermon. And I told him how he made quite an impression on me when I was younger. And how rather than boasting in his accomplishments, he boasted in his need for Christ. And that he took interest in Melissa and me as young believers, just a couple of folks trying to make it through law school. And I opened my email yesterday. And he had responded to my email. I didn't know if he'd get that or not. It was just through a form on his webpage. Here's what he said. 
He said, thank you very much for your kind message and for your service at Alney Baptist. I know you understand what a blessing it is when a kind word is offered by way of his spirit in your ministry. Your encouragement is very timely, and I pray your upcoming message will touch all by its hearing. Blessings, Al Perkins. You know, in the end, there's only one credential that matters. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Have you said in your heart, have you gone into your closet when it's just you and God and said, please save me. I'm too weak because of my sin. I'm condemned because I'm not strong enough. And I I was born with this weakness where I sin because I'm a sinner and there's no hope for me. I'm that weak that even if I wanted to pull myself up by my bootstraps, it's too late. Have you gone and confessed that weakness to God and said, I need a Savior? If I'm going to boast, let me boast in my weakness, in my need for Jesus. Is that the thing that you want to talk about? Because whenever you'll acknowledge that kind of weakness, I mean, gosh, you can do that in a tent in Los Angeles so many years ago. And then when you're nearly 80 years old, some preacher in Texas can write you an email and the thing that you talk about is the Holy Spirit and His work in your life. That's amazing, isn't it? You're probably never going to play steel guitar on a Rolling Stones record. You'll probably never play uh, on a Garth Brooks album or whatever. But that's not any kind of credential that matters. There's only one that's essential in the end. Have you boasted in your weakness in such a way where you've bowed the knee to Jesus Christ that you might boast in His strength?